Today's episode is brought to you by NS North. From April 10th to the 12th, come visit Montebello, Quebec, and join us at NS North, Canada's conference for developers and designers working on iOS, Mac, and watch apps. Throughout the weekend, you will participate in fun activities and learn from 12 great speakers. Talks will cover a range of technical, design, business, and more. Visit nsnorth.ca for more information. You're very backlit today, Mark. Hmm. How do I look? Angelic? Uh, yeah, blue and black. I don't even understand what that means, and I'm not going to respond to it. <laughs> okay, good. Hey, everybody. This is Gordon in Boston. And this is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Build Phase. What's up? How's it going? Hey. All right. Sunny day in San Francisco? It's kind of sunny. Mm-hmm. Cold, air quotes. Mm-hmm. It's cold relative to being sunny, and but not relative to where you are. Right. I had to buy an extra piece of clothing this year, specifically because of how cold it was. I was really angry about that. I bought a, it's called a buff. It's a cylinder of fabric. And like you can put it around, like you, it's super versatile. So you can like, but I'm using it basically as just like a face mask. So like, you know, it goes around your neck and you can like pull it up real easy so that it covers your face, keeps the wind out. Helps a lot. But, you know, now I'm like walking down the street and I have like this face mask on and a hoodie. Like the hood popped up on the hoodie and a beanie. I'm a fairly big dude. <laughs> so I get kind of self-conscious about walking around the Boston streets like that. <laughs> What's been the average daytime high? I don't know. Where Mis- you are. Miserable? What is that in Celsius? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Horrible. It sucks. I hate it. Even the people here who are like okay with cold and okay with snow are like, oh my God, I'm so done with this winter. Yeah. Weather. What are you going to do? Move? Leave? <laughs> I know. I know. I'd actually love to. America is a very large nation. Huge. Really huge. One of the largest, I think. What have you been doing this week? Chugging away mm-hmm. on the app that I'm hoping to ship today. Oh, yeah? But as you know, like getting ready to ship and then there's like oh wait no there's this bug and there's this bug and then you try to fix them and you're like this will take five minutes Mm -hmm. or three hours later still not working right i'm in the second 80 (laughs) percent right right (sighs) but you think you'll ship today yeah one way or another so maybe we can talk about it next week or do you want to talk about it today nah i'm not ready to talk about it today talk about it next week also did some coaching this week Mm -hmm. oh yeah we launched that yeah, so we're offering iOS coaching as a service here now where four hours and you get paired up with one of our you know, developers and it's, it's, it's BYOP. You bring your own project <laughs> and whatever you want to work on. Mm-hmm. You want to try Reactive Cocoa, you want to add some view models to your app, can help you do that and maybe you'll learn some fun stuff along the way. Uh, there's a good chance I'm going to make you install XVIM. So you can learn that <laughs> begrudgingly as well. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah that's exciting. I'm, I am excited about that. I think we got a lot of good feedback about once we launched that. People that were like, this is cool. I actually get asked for this a lot, but 
you know, they don't have the bandwidth to do it. And so now there's somewhere that they can point to. Yeah, it's basically, as far as I know, it's the whole iOS team here, right? For the most part. Yep. Yep. For the most part. So, you know, me and Mark and Tony and Keith and everybody. Yeah, I've had nothing but great experiences so far. I really enjoy teaching. Yeah. Coaching. Have you done that before? Teaching? Like engineering? No. Like teaching. Oh, just in general? Like um, teaching any non-trivial. I used to train at Disney. Yeah. Which is like a, that's like a whole thing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like when I, I, I would train new hires at Splash Mountain, that's a four-day, eight-hour on-the-job training wow. where you learn everything. Wow. And that's a lot to learn at once. Yeah. A lot. There's like written tests. You have to. Wow. You have to like. Really? Yeah. There's like these written knowledge assessments that you have to complete that are pretty easy because I'm basically going to help you with those. But mm-hmm. then at the, at the end of the four days, you're going to like a lead is going to take you out or another trainer and you're going to go to every position and they're just going to watch you. And if you screw up and you fail, you might get a second chance. Hmm. That's like that. That's the really uh, nerve wracking part. Hmm. Is the performance assessment crazy? I had no yeah. idea. I mean, I guess it makes sense. You need to make sure people don't die, right? Seems right. like a big responsibility. I should see if I can find a photo of the Splash Mountain Tower because there's a lot of buttons and flashing lights. Yeah, I think you'd be really <laughs> impressed. I'm sure I would. So, what else? Um, we've been trying to push Argo. Get this live. I we we knew that there there were a couple projects on the horizon, and we had this like nice sliver of time where Tony and I were both off project, and it was like let's push to get this stuff out. So, kind of doing in the middle of some like mind bending ish kind of stuff around that right now. Basically, trying to one of the comments that we've heard a few times is so Argo has dealt with optionals, right? So it either parses or it doesn't. And that's all. You, that's the only info you get. You either get an object or you don't. Period. That's it. And one of the questions that's been asked a few times of us is, can we get more information about why parsing failed? I'm still, <laughs> I'm still fairly dubious on whether or not that is useful, long term. I think there's a really, really short sliver of time where that kind of information is useful. It's like in development when you're writing that one parser is about the only time. You know what I mean? And once it works, it works unless the API changes. Yeah. So anything you can do in the app would be like a Band-Aid at best. Right. Like when really it's just something else should get fixed. Right. And it's like you're not going to ever – display these kind of this is purely for debugging you're not going to display any of this information to the user at all like if if i ever get an alert in an app that says you know expected this key to be a string or this key wasn't a string you know what i mean like that kind of a thing it's like oh like okay what do you what the hell do you i hate error messages like that as a user of apps so anyway so i've been kind of questionable about whether or not that's useful information in the long term but it's something that we decided to look at and it actually ends up being kind of nice to have that parser object because then it means that we can transform that into other objects if we want so it's fairly trivial to go from a parser object to an optional 
and it's fairly trivial. So, so basically, so we introduce this parser type that contains a type, right? So it'll be a parser of users or like, just like you'd have an optional user. So it'd be like a parser user or, a, you know, parser list of users or whatever, parser list of strings. But from that, it's really easy to go from parser of users to an optional user. It's a fairly trivial transformation to do. It also means that if you want to use results in your app, it's really trivial to go from a parser of user to a result of user NS error. Because you just take the error message out. If it succeeded, then you create a success case with a user. If it failed, then you create a that NS error with whatever or whatever your error type is. You create an error type with that string that we already gave you. The parser type just has some parse method or something? Parser type has uh, basically nothing. A parser type is a really simple type that has, it's just an enum and it has three cases. Success, type mismatch, or missing key are the three cases, right? So one success case, right? Everything went good. Here's your thing. Or the type was wrong. You wanted an int and we had a string or you wanted a... You know, I mean, that's basically all boils down to. There's some few types in JSON. So a type mismatch or a missing key, right? You thought this thing was in the in the JSON. It is not in the JSON. So, you know, that's a failure state. And then it has a computed property for value, which hand, it returns an optional of the whatever type is inside of it. So if you have a parser user, you can do dot value on that, and you can get back an optional user, which is fairly simple. And then it has an optional function, like a class-level function on it that takes a parser A and returns a parser optional A. I was literally – I had to stop a conversation about whether or not we should make this function public. Literally – right before I came down here. Like I was talking to Joe and Tony about this and I had to say, I have to go record. I can't talk about this right now. And so I kind of cut out of the conversation. So I'm not sure if that's going to be public, but it's a very, very simple type with very, very little to do type of mismatch and missing key. Both have strings attached to them, right? Which is like the error message, but it's a functor. It's a monad. It's applicative. So, so basically parsers don't end up changing barely at all so in as a user of argo your syntax is almost identical to the way it used to be except for that instead of returning an optional t or an optional user you return a parser user and then we introduced like a new decode function like a global decode function that takes uh, in any object. So something that you got back from NSJSON serialization, for example, takes in any object and returns whatever type you requested, basically. How does it do that? How does it resolve the type? Return type type inference, which is oh, right. bonkers. Which, which we discussed on this PR, and I didn't know you could do. <laughs> yeah, we. this is something that we didn't know you could do. In fact, we said you couldn't do it, and then we... Like, and then we, when we started writing Argo, it was like, oh, wow, you can do that. So, like, we have a function. There's four of them, actually. And they're exactly the same. You have function decode, and then it's got a type constraint to make sure that this 
generic type T is de- JSON decodable. And it takes an object of type any object and it returns an optional T. You have another one that looks exactly the same, same type constraint, same arguments, except for it returns an optional array of T. You have another one that's exactly the same, except for it returns a parser T, and another one that's exactly the same, except for it returns a parser array of T. Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And based on what you ask for, if you ask for a single variable value, it'll just return that it'll use the first one it'll just return an optional t if you return if you ask for an array of objects it'll use the array an optional array of objects it'll use the array one and if you ask for the parser that directly it will use whichever parser it needs to use that's the part that blew my mind cuz i was i'm looking at the two signatures right there and i'm yeah, like going they are identical, <laughs> identical except for the return type like this one is an array of this type and this one is just this type yeah how does this work and i you know obviously i understood that type inference works like flowing right to left in an assignment and mm-hmm. like it can infer the variable you've just declared by what you pass to it yeah exactly yeah but i didn't realize that it could also look at what you're assigning to to right. determine which function to call so left to right right that blew my mind a little bit yeah it's it's like this kind of bottom up kind of thing in my head where it's saying like instead of starting with a type it evaluates the entire expression based on what type it wants to have at the end it's pretty wild but this is this is actually how argo's always worked and it's the main difference between argo and other json parsing libraries out there where other JSON parsing libraries, they force you to specify the type. Hmm. Basically, all of them do this. You have to specify the type. We're short-circuiting that by saying, like, the type is there. The type is in this create function that you already have to, you have to write this, cur- this curried create function. The t- you know, that function knows what type each argument is supposed to be. So that's, that's how Argo actually works is it says, okay, the argument in this position, keep in mind, Argo is barely doing anything at this point. It's Swift itself, you know, <laughs> is doing a lot of the work here, just the language, the way the language works. But it says, okay, at this, you know, the argument at this index is supposed to be a string. So I'm going to try to get a string from this key. And when it finds an integer, it goes, oh, I couldn't get a string, and then it fails, and that short circuits the decoder, and so everything bails from that point. Right? Because the function at that point takes a string. So T, so again, you go into this return type type inference where, like, that little, we've been calling it retrieve, I think, is the, what we settled on the naming that operator, but the angle bracket pipe operator which is used in Argo, so you do like the JSON value on the left and then the key that you're trying to pull out on the right. That works with return type type inference as well. So that takes a JSON value on the left and a string on the right and returns an optional T. And so when you pass that with apply, it figures all that stuff out for you, which is pretty wild. This is another place, though, these global decode functions. These This is another place, I think we touched on it last week, where we could literally cut these in half. And we could just have two of these where one of them returns an optional T and the other one returns a parser T. We could get rid of the array variants if 
we could say that array is JSON decodable if its contents are JSON decodable and declare an instance like that, um, we'd be able to get rid of one of those or, you know, two of these. So we'd be able to cut these in half. We'd also be able to cut the um, normal operators in half too. The normal JSON decoding operators, all of our retrieve stuff would be able to get cut in half as well. And then if we had higher kinded types and we could say like this returns an optional T or a parser T, if you write those out, they look incredibly similar. So if we could just parameterize, so we can already parameterize on the constraint type. We can parameterize on that T, right? But if we could parameterize between optional and parser, we would literally only need one of these things and it would just work. It would just give you whatever type you asked for. How, how would that work if they have different, so in this case, they're both enums, right? So how would that work since parser has three cases and optional has two? How would you generalize? You'd have to have some kind, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not entirely sure because it's all super hypothetical. In Haskell, it comes down to the fact that the way the types are written out. So everything's a function in Haskell and everything can be passed, including type constructors. So the type name itself, that constructor is a function that can be passed around. So like you can have an, um, maybe is Haskell's version of optional. So you can have a maybe a, right. You can also have an either B a, right. So either is like result is it's the same idea in uh, either either in Haskell is the same basic idea as result in Swift, which is what we've been using. The difference is that the cases are basically flipped. So you have either left, right. Yeah. And the left case is the failure case and the right case is success. That's just convention. But what it also means is that you can move from, this is weird, but you can move from maybe a, to either B A by using maybe as a constructor and either B as a constructor. Does it make sense at all? Remember, just remember that everything's a function, everything's curried. I bet this we don't need to get into Haskell talk. <laughs> yeah. It's heady and it's weird and we should probably just I'm I'm functioning at about seventy percent today anyway. It's okay. So. I, I'm I'm tired too. So bear with me. Yeah. Also we need to take a quick break here and Pay the bills. Yeah. Do the ad Ex- thing. Exer- exercise my reading skills to pay the bills. Yeah. We're doing ad things now. Mm-hmm. This week, we are sponsored by our friends at NS North. So you and I went to NS North last year. Yep. And I went the year before that as well. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. This is going to be your third year, right? In a row. Whoa. So if you're in the business of developing or designing apps for Apple's iOS, Mac, and watch platforms, you will not want to miss NS North. At NS North, you will come together with your friends to learn new perspectives, new technologies, and new paths to profitability. This year will be held at the beautiful Fairmont Le Chateau Montebello. How did I do? I don't know. Terrible. (laughs) In in, in Montebello, Quebec. Over the weekend of April 10th through the 12th, you will have a chance to network, socialize, and learn from the experiences of our speakers from Canada and the U.S. Uh, Georgia Dow from iMore will be kicking things off on Friday afternoon. And over the next two days, you'll hear from great speakers such as Krista Mergen from Rogue Amoeba, ThoughtBot's very own Gordon Fontenot. That's you. Yep. And Ashley Nelson Hornstein from Dropbox, to name but a few. A special team package is also available, which offers even more value when you send three or more members from your organization. 
Transportation will also be a breeze with ride sharing and free shuttle services available from Ottawa and Montreal. And the total package, including all your food and drink and two nights at the venue, comes to around $1,000 US. Companion tickets are also available, which makes it really simple to bring your family or friends with you to enjoy the five-star resort. Uh, note that you have until March 11th to be guaranteed a spot and the cheapest price for tickets. Please visit nsnorth.ca. So how is your talk coming? Let's, let's switch gears real quick. It's coming. That doesn't been, sound good. Uh, it's hard. It's just really hard. Writing talks is hard. And, like, I've mentioned this to you offline, but, like, just I've been over. Like, I have too many things on my plate right now. Like, I said yes to too many things. Um, and it's, like, really, I'm, I didn't even I – I let myself get to the point where I didn't realize I was overwhelmed until, like, last night. I was, like, feeling really kind of stressed out and panicky leaving work. I couldn't figure out why. I was like, oh, it's because I have a million things in the back of my head that I've said, yeah, sure, I'll do that, or that I've accidentally involved myself in, and now all of a sudden I'm, I am kind of feel obligated to do things. So this push on Argo is like one thing, and then the fact that I haven't messed with Liftoff in a long time, and I haven't done a new release in a long time, and that there's a bunch of fixes on master that should probably be, I should probably cut into release like that has been driving me crazy. Oh wait, no, no, no. I did. Sweet. I can check that off. I did do a release. I think, I think I cut a release the other day. All right. I'm going to have to look at that. <laughs> I do not remember. I don't know, man. This is what I'm saying. I've been so, this is bonkers. And so then, you know, and like, um, our friend Pat wrote this Haskell book. And it is writing a book on Haskell, maybe in Haskell. Uh, it's called Maybe Haskell, actually, is what it's called. Um, and it's great. And I was doing a lot of technical reviewing while he was writing the book. And I kept volunteering myself to review the finished book, and I just haven't had time to sit down and read it, and that's been bothering me. But uh, I'm going to link to that be the, the book because it's in beta right now. But the entire time I was reading this book, I was like super, super excited to be able to have something to hand to people that were having trouble kind of grokking optional in Swift because I think it's a fantastic – you don't need to know Haskell going in. He's not going to teach you Haskell. He's going to teach you just enough Haskell so that he can talk to you about maybe. And it's a fantastic way to kind of get – get a grip on maybe and to dip your toe into Haskell. It's not a huge book. So whatever, um, not to do another bit right there, but I, I will link to Pat's book, uh, in there. But so, you know, I've been, I'm actually going to go home and I, I think my talks about half, maybe three quarters done. I just keep going over the f first, I've been reiterating on the first few sections, probably too much. Um, I haven't done any like full run throughs, but I'm going to go home tonight and try to finish it up. Hopefully, I'll work on it over the weekend and get some time next week to work on it. I want to try to do it live for some people a couple times over the next few weeks. And then, um, you know, April 10th or the 11th or the 12th. I'm not, you know, they haven't released a schedule. Mm -hmm. I have a email sitting in front of me speaking, you know, things that are sitting in front of me that I need to do where Phil from the or Phil's the or one of the organizers of NS North he's a listener of the show hey Phil 
but I have an email <laughs> sitting in front of me where he's asking, I need to send him my session title and synopsis. And I can't, I hate the session. Like I, I could do a synopsis, but I hate the title that I have right now. So I, I need to figure that out. Throw it my way. Let's see what I can do with it. All right. Yeah. I'll come up with something. Yeah. My punch up, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true <laughs> really, yeah. just sit in a hotel room all day and just punch up your talk a yeah bit. i'd love that <laughs> I, I need that that's what i need in my life I, I bring in like a hard case on wheel on wheels and you're like what's in there and i'm like gifts <laughs> just full of gifts just, yeah all my gifts they're all available for rent <laughs> right small licensing fee yeah, I don't know. It's coming. I, I'm I am excited about the talk itself. I, I think I'm excited because uh, this is these are it's all concepts that and I'm not going to get too much into it because that's spoil. I don't want to spoil it, but it's going to be around functional programming. It's going to be kind of around education about functional concepts. Like it's going to be technical. My talks one of the technical talks, so it's going to get into some kind of the same kind of stuff that. I talk about on here a lot, but um, probably deeper. God, and that's people vague. get to see your face. And people get to see my face. We can talk, hang out. It'll be fun. Yeah, that, that'll be good because, you know, you get almost immediate feedback, right? What? from About the no, talk? No, I mean, like, yeah, if you give a talk, you know, you step off stage and then at the end of the day, you go to wherever and mm-hmm. drink a beer and like, oh, yeah. people yeah. can talk to you about the thing that you just talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So that's cool. Yeah. It is weird to be on the other side of the fence a little bit in this regard. You know, NS North was the first conference for anything that I'd ever been to in my entire life three years ago. So to go from it's the very first conference that I've ever attended to it's going to be the very first conference that I've ever spoken at in the span of three years is kind of wild to me. Mm-hmm. But should be good. I'm I'm I am excited about it. I I love I freaking love Canada because I'm a big fan of poutine more than anything. That stuff is delicious. But the venue looks fancy as hell. It had a really fancy French name that I butchered. <laughs> I'm sure you did fine. Okay. Thanks, <laughs> anyway. Gordon Fontenot. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Thanks. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of where I've been this whole past few weeks is dealing with this parser stuff, dealing with my talk. Getting ready to move on to a project. Looks like Monday. I keep getting emails about this. It looks like Monday. I'm going to roll on a project, which is good. It'll be good to do some new stuff. Any other Reactive Cocoa stuff you've been doing? Oh, you said you were looking at the Swift Reactive Cocoa stuff. Do you have anything? That looks great. Yeah. It looks so great. Yeah. Because they've kind of gotten to rethink the API. It's a major version bump anyway, right? So Mm -hmm. they can make breaking changes. Mm -hmm. But in addition... I actually wonder how 3.0 is going to work in Objective-C. I think they might be very, like, very, very different. Why is that? I've been following the Swift development, and it seems like the changes that they're making to things, they're not really trying to... I could be wrong about this, but it doesn't seem like they're porting them back, like the naming changes and stuff, Mm -hmm. to the Objective-C side of 3.0. And that Objective-C side is still just kind of what they were pushing on around the time of WWDC last year. Mm Mm-hmm. So one really nice thing is in the Swift version, there is now like a clear distinction in types between hot signals and cold signals, and they've been renamed. So, can you do the what's the TLDR on hot and cold signals? Let me try. Did I ask you this last week and you couldn't? You didn't. Uh, yeah. Let me 
Let me try to do this because I don't want to sound stupid on, right. the, on the internet. <laughs> Heaven forbid. <laughs> um, I, I kind of think maybe a better way to think about it is like if you think about it as a pipe for values instead of a signal, yep. let's use that analogy instead, then a cold signal is a closed signal that needs to be opened okay. before values can flow through it. And okay. usually the act of opening it involves doing some work. And that's really abstract and hand wavy, but it can be anything. Uh, yeah. If it's a if it's a you know a cold signal that wraps a network action, then the act of opening it or in their terms starting it mm-hmm. would actually kick off the network task and then start sending values. Got it. Right. Whereas a hot signal is something that you can just sort of hook onto that is already in progress. Mm-hmm. And we'll just send values. So there's a possibility there that you could subscribe to something after it's maybe already sent its value mm-hmm. and you won't get anything. Hmm. So it's generally easier to work with cold signals than hot signals because you can reason about what exactly you're going to get from them. Okay. And also finite signals are easier to work with than infinite signals. It's, it's a lot easier to know like this thing's going to send complete after this and then it's done. Got it. Uh, that's the kind of TLDR. Okay. And so how do they change that in... Okay, so in Rack 2.0, there's just one class, Rack Signal. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of, it can be both, like depending on how you use it. Like right. you could use Signal for Selector to like lift a delegate method, you know, into the Rack world. And that's a hot signal because you can subscribe to it and you're just going to get values as they come. Like as some other code calls like the, what would be the delegate method, mm-hmm. you're just going to get that coming through. Whereas... You know, if I define my own, like in this app, like wrapping a network action, I call the method and the method itself creates a signal. But until anyone subscribes to it, it's not going to do its, its side effect of actually making an NSURL session task and resuming it and then sending values. And then there are even ways to turn a hot signal back into a cold signal using uh, def- the defer class method. Hmm. Um, but I, th- I think it's helpful that they've They've split those apart now. So there's yeah. signals and there's signal producers. And so which is which? So a signal is a hot signal. Okay. And a signal producer is a cold signal. You can also kind of think of it as like instance is to class as signal is to signal producer. Okay. So it's kind of like a blueprint, like a template okay. for a signal. Like it defines what it does when it's activated and the, kinds, and the type of values it, sent, it sends because all of that stuff is encoded now in the Swift version, mm-hmm. you know, signals can carry one, one type right. through, right. obviously. I think that will help a lot. And reading through that kind of helped me understand the difference between hot and cold signals. Because remember, I'm pretty new to this. Yeah, I've only been doing this absolutely. for four weeks. Absolutely. And so that helped cement it in my head. And um, like one night I just sat there and I read through the whole repo, like the whole current state of that branch. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, this looks pretty cool. I get it. <laughs> nice. And then once I did that, I was able to read Carthage and understand that too, which is cool. Yeah, I really want to dig more into Carthage and the way it works because I really like, I really like Carthage. I don't think we've talked much about, and I don't know how much you've used Carthage. I haven't since, at all. And I don't think we've talked about it at all since we mentioned weeks ago, weeks and weeks ago. Was that a month ago? Maybe two months ago? It launched in December, and I think we talked about it Holy once. Crap. Yeah, November? the day the day it launched because. That's that we talked about it that day. Mm-hmm. I've been using it ever since. I really like it. I really, really do. Um, and I'd love to contribute more to it. Uh, I haven't really had the time. Like I said, I have so many freaking things on my plate right now. It's hard to 
add more. But then I, I also just haven't had the time to sit down and, you know, there's that overhead of learning rack or at least learning to move around rack in some functional capacity. I think it's even clearer to understand when you look at the Swift stuff. Oh, I'm sure because you, you can be more expressive in the type system. You know what I mean? And if you can be more expressive in your types, everything should get clearer, assuming the API is decent. Stuff like generics, like they just add an exp- a level of expressiveness to the, like like we were talking about a few weeks ago when I was saying you know having an associated type with a signal is a huge step forward because now you as a signal consumer don't have to inherently know what kind of type this thing is going to send. It's right there in the type signature. This thing sends an integer value. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to get some integers back, period, done. Um, and that's just a huge, huge, huge win for expressiveness. Yeah. And it fixes my only two hangups on Reactive Cocoa that have nothing to do with the library itself. It's the implementation in Objective-C that drives me insane. Number one, it's the, the square braces and, you know, pretty much everything, every operator, almost every operator takes a block. Mm-hmm. And... I'm still not clear on why, but when you're just writing the syntax, you, Xcode's bracket balancing is actively fighting you <laughs> yeah. like every step of the way. Yeah. And I've kind of determined that if you put every operator on its own line, and most importantly, have the semicolon on its own line at the very end, <laughs> then it, it kind of like shuts Xcode up. And I'm, for the most part, I can, I can just like make a new line, throw in an operator, implement a block. And that, okay, that part's fine. The other thing that drives me crazy is when you sort of tab complete that block the type signature in it's, the argument list is always id id yeah. and i always want to work with the actual thing that's being sent so then i have to like implement it go up like go over into there change the type right what i'm actually expecting right that stuff just gets old really really quick that's just the lack of a proper type system is what you know what i mean that's just xcode helpfully reminding you that everything actually is just id <laughs> Objective C, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> you know, it's just mm-hmm. peeling back that that layer. Yeah, <laughs> just yep. reminding reminding you that you have no idea what anything actually is. You can make educated guesses, and you can try, <laughs> you know, yeah. through convention to enforce it. But thin ice. <laughs> It's all very, I don't I, know, the best I'm, adjective I can think of is floppy. Just yeah. Everything's floppy. I, like, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so horribly pessimistic about Objective-C. Like, just being in Swift for any amount of time and then going back and looking at the type, the Objective-C type system, it's just laughable. It, it really, really is. You know what I mean? Like, once you start, and you're like, how did we, like, how did I deal with this for so freaking long? Just this this concept of casting objects, which is all you're actually really doing, right? Like even in method signatures, like you're making a suggestion to the compiler that this thing should take this, but there's no actual protection there. Like everything is actually being passed around as ID and then it's just being cast into and out of method calls. It's like, that's insane. That isn't that is something crazy people would think up, you know what I mean? And then you move back to Swift and you're like, you have this contract with the compiler saying like, no, 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 this is the type I really need, and the compiler is going like, cool, I got you. you know? It's bananas. It's absolutely <laughs> insane to me. It's absolutely insane to me. 
did I mention, I don't remember if I mentioned this on the show, but like then I went one step further and I was doing Ruby for liftoff. And the second I got in there, I was kind of like cringing and I was like away from the computer. I was like typing stuff. I'm like, I have no idea what any of this is. (laughs) It's like, is this a dictionary? Is this some other object? Who can tell? Maybe it's nil, (laughs) you know? Like having to having to retrace my steps that stuff that I wrote going like like I don't know what the hell is being passed like I'm calling it I think object or target or something like that you know it's like I'm calling it this thing but I don't know what that thing is anymore because it's been literally years since I wrote this method so now I got to go back and I got to trace the path of where this thing is coming from it's like that it just sucks types man. I'm such a big believer in types at this point. It forces your understanding to be at a global scope. Uh, just let's like it. No, I mean, it, it yeah. does that because like you want to figure out what this thing is. You basically have to chase it back to trace it back to the creation yes. of the universe to decide <laughs> yes. like, what is this thing? Yes, exactly. You can't just look in scope and go, oh yeah, that's exactly. That's a exactly. big end. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, absolutely. It lets me, be the idiot that i'm going to be anyway it's just it's just a way it's like the language is there is a quote that said uh it was either about functional programming or static types i don't remember what it was but it was about one of those and the quote was something like i think it was functional programming it's like that functional programming everyone thinks functional programming makes simple problems complex but that's not true imperative program just pretends that complex problems are simple you know like functional programming is just peeling back that cover and to a certain extent static static types right because you can do duct typing right you do duct typing you're just like you know just throwing methods at stuff and being like yeah sure this will work because i said it would five seconds ago you know and that makes a very very complex problem seem like a simple problem Right, like, oh, this thing doesn't respond to this method. I'll just go implement that method. You know that mm-hmm. that's taking this concept of types and a type system, and just like making it seem like a simple issue that you deal with. Whereas a strictly type language is saying is showing you that this is a complex issue that you should deal with and you have to deal with, and it's not something you can just skirt around. Yeah, it's just making you remember that programming is hard up front. Yeah. Instead of later. Right, right. When it's too late to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't remember what we were talking about before. Does that mean we're done? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I had something else to say. I guess well, we could thanks. be done. Yeah. Show notes for this episode are going to be found at buildphase.fm slash 75. And as always, we'd like to hear from you. So email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com or reach out on Twitter at buildphase. And as always, we are... Really appreciate ratings and reviews on iTunes. All right. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you later. Later, man. <laughs>